0: This morning, we've got a treat Stanley John, a good friend of mine for quite a number of years, and he's been here at Redeemer for the last uh, little over a year. Um, He's going to be bringing the word to us this morning. Uh, Stanley has a great deal of experience teaching um, in the church, and I look forward to, he and I met on Friday and talked through what God's given him to say, and so I I look forward to being ministered to this morning, as I hope you do as well. So Stanley, would you come and share with us? Thank you. Hi, Redeemer. Um, for those that don't know me, uh, like Shannon said, uh, Lynn, uh, Lindsay, my beautiful wife, and I have been attending Redeemer for about a little over a year now, since last August. So, And I do have to say, we're blessed to be part of this community. I think we're newly wed, so this is essentially kind of our first church uh, that we started going together um, once we were married. So we're blessed to be part of this community. We're uh, thankful for the ways you guys have loved us, uh, and especially the Wheat Life group that we're part of, and uh, they've given us the opportunity to love and walk with people, uh, and they have walked with us as we uh, have grown and try to figure out what it means to be uh, newlyweds and all that fun stuff and all that that comes with that. So, uh, I also want to thank Shannon for the opportunity to be able to teach, uh, and I um, always, I've filled in for Shannon before, and I always like to say, if you don't like it, come back next week, he'll be here, so um, don't don't leave, he's going to be mad at me, so uh, we spent the last few weeks looking at Romans 12, and so we've been walking uh, through, essentially words by words, uh, studying Romans 12, and so we'll be in that same uh, passage today, uh, and so for the last uh, few verses, uh, Paul has been essentially helping the, uh, the Romans uh, understand what it means to live as Christians that have been transformed once their minds have been renewed. So the first few uh, verses in, uh, chapters in Romans excuse me, have been talking about what it means to be adopted into God's family, and in Romans 12, Paul now talks about what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So Kevin bought the word last week and ta- helped us understand what it means to love our enemies. And, what, and before that, Shannon had talked about what it means to bless those that curse us. And so, uh, today, I'm going to spend most of my time in uh, Romans 12, verse 12. And so, you guys go ahead and turn there. I'll read 9 through 12, but I'll spend most of my time in 12. So, before I do start, I do have to say a few things um, as I'm getting ready to preach from the text. Is I'm probably not the best person to be preaching from the text, uh, for those that know me closely, I'm uh, usually not the most patient, and we're going to talk about patience. We're going to talk about what it means to rejoice in hope, and uh, I've kind of inherited this uh, attitude of worrying a lot, and when I'm not worrying, I'm worried about the fact that I'm not worrying. Like, what am I not worrying about? So I'm chronic worrier. So, so I'm not the best at it, and uh, it's funny because um, uh, after Sh- Sh- Shannon, had, I think it was after Shannon's uh, preaching two weeks ago when he taught us about what it means to be blessed, those who curse us. And a few days after that, I had gone to the dry cleaners to get my shirts dry cleaned. And so I walk into this dry cleaner and I see this one guy. Um, to put it nicely, he's, he's special. I'll put it that way. And so I was like, I hope I don't get his register. I hope I don't get his register. And by providence, I get his register. So I walk up and I'm hoping this is, should be quick. I'll give him my shirts. He'll tell me how much is it. I'll pay. We'll be out of here. So I show up, he counts my shirts and says uh, it will be whatever the amount was, and I'm like trying to figure out how I'm going to pay cash or credit, whatever the case may be. And he looks at me and says, "Um, so how does a guy take off his shirt without having all his buttons uh, unbuttoned? I was like, well, so confession, I don't take all my buttons off, I just take the first two and then just pop the shirt off. I was like, why go through the whole thing when this is easier? (laughs) And so he, he was like, how do you, I was like, I was trying to make small talk be nice. I was like, well, some of us just have a skill like that. And so he, and so then he keeps going. He's like, well, you know, now we have to take the buttons off. And I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, if in as, in as much as you're interested in making our life easier, it would be awesome if you can take the buttons off before you bring the shirts in. I'm like, I'm telling my wife the story later on. And like, I was like, I can take the shirts down the road. And I'm sure they all won't have any problems taking my buttons off. So my wife's like, did you tell him that? I was like, no, I, was, I didn't tell him that, but I was thinking. <laughs> so I'm walking out of the store, and, uh, you know, the words that uh, Shannon taught her had came to mind. is like, bless those who curse you. And I'm thinking, I was like, what does that have to do with where I'm now? So I get in the car, and the spirit promptly reminds me, uh, blessing those who annoy you is a good start. Right? And so, so sometimes, um, as I'm teaching this text, um, I'm still preaching to myself, uh, like Shannon was saying, so uh, bear with me and y'all pray for me as I, as I do this. Uh, but in verse 12 of Romans 12, uh, Paul is helping us, uh, reminding us what it means to live as Christians that are transformed by God's Word, uh, but also what it means to uh, live as Christians through tribulations and trial, uh, periods of trial. And so, uh, and we've all been there. Uh, And so in Romans, let's turn to Romans 12, and I'll read verses 9 through 12, and then uh, we'll look at verse 12. In verse 9 of the 12th chapter of Romans, Paul writes, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. And in verse 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Let me read that again. Be rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. So we've we've all had our share of trials and difficult seasons, just like Shannon was talking about. Uh, we've we personally know people that are going through difficult seasons of life. I know for me, uh, the one that comes to mind as I was reading this text is when my dad passed away eight years ago. Uh, I had just turned 22, was in college, and uh, a few years prior to that, we had just immigrated to the United States and living in New York, and my parents wanted to buy a house, so they decided to move to Texas, and after a long, lengthy conversation and argument, I got to stay there. Uh, But six months into their move, uh, my uh, dad ended up having a stroke and uh, got admitted to the hospital, and uh, I want to say two weeks later, um, uh, he went into a coma, and then we buried him two weeks later. And so... For me, uh, being 22, I, it, was, it was challenging because at that point I had been a Christian, uh, but 21, 22 years of theology was being challenged right as I was living it out. I prayed for my dad to be healed. I prayed for him to come out of it. Uh, and we were just getting our feet under ourselves. And so that sent shockwaves uh, in our house and our family as we picked up the pieces and tried to figure out what it means to be To try and decide, can we stay in college? Do we need to be uh, get full-time jobs so we can support our home? And so, um, the weeks after, since uh, I I really felt hopeless, I was like, okay, trying to figure out what what does that mean? What what is God trying to tell us? What, What do we need to do? What have we missed? And so um, I know that it's not an uncommon experience uh, because all, so most of you here have been through some experience like that or in some kind of experience like that right now, whether it's job loss, whether it's a health issue, whether it's children uh, not turning out the way we hoped they would or our futures and marriages not turning out the way we hoped it would. And so uh, part of the, uh, the exhortation that Paul is giving us uh, here is to remind us that, as believers that are experiencing transformation, that we need to uh, live our lives in hope, that we need to be patient in tribulation, and that we need to use prayer as the conduit that refreshes both of those. So that's part of what we're going to uh, look at today. And so as I was thinking of the words, I just trying to figure out what is Paul's connection, or why did Paul decide to put all these three together? Uh, together in one verse. And so I think the, the, what Paul is trying to help us understand is that as life brings its troubles and burdens, we can only rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation if we are constant in prayer. I'm mean, to repeat that in another way. A consistent life of prayer renews our hope so we can rejoice, and it strengthens our resolve so we can be patient in tribulation. And so, because prayer is the, uh, essentially the way called that feeds hope and that feeds patience, let's look at prayer first, and then we'll kind of unpack the rest of the passage uh, from there. And so, uh, the, the, the message uh, translates constant in prayer as pray harder. The NIV says faithful in prayer, and the NRSV says persevere in prayer. And so, when Paul is talking about being constant in prayer, he's not essentially, he's not just telling us to make sure we have our quiet time. Even though consistent times of prayer are important and necessary, Paul is here encouraging us to run to prayer consistently. He's not talking about our prayer life. He's talking about asking, asking us to make a li- our life of prayer asking us to build our life of prayer. And so he's asking us to live a life that is saturated in prayer. And so uh, most of us know what it means to have a consistent time of prayer. You have a, you know, a quiet time in the morning or a quiet time in the evening, or you pray over uh, at lunchtime or dinner. But uh, Paul is essentially asking us to do something different above and beyond that. He's asking us to uh, run to prayer and, in, and essentially help us uh, remember where and who our dependence is on. Who are we depending in our day-to-day life? Not just when we do our quiet time, but on our regular day-to-day life, where is our dependence uh, based on? And so, uh, most of us know that prayer is important, especially if you've spent any time in church or uh, lived been our own believers, you know that uh, prayer is important. Um, and when I say no, I mean up here we know, right? We know uh, in our heads that prayer is important, prayer works, and that prayer is necessary. But Uh, is it an option that we avail ourselves of on a day-to-day basis? Or is prayer one of those things that is in the backseat on a regular basis, but when we need it or when there's some kind of auspicious moment, we bring it out and we use it. But it's not a regular part of our lives. It's not a way we we spend most of our time in. And so um, let me give you an analogy to make this a little clearer. Uh, When I think about prayer, I often think of it like a fire extinguisher right? How many of you think, I know most of you don't respond when Shannon preaches, but this is going to require a response from you guys. Uh, uh, how many of you think a fire extinguisher is necessary for a building this size? Right? Some of you are not Not sure. I don't know if I want to be with you guys. <laughs> but we all, we all uh, know that fire extinguishers are necessary in a building this size. But let me ask you a question. How many of you know where the fire extinguisher is in this building? Anybody? Oh, one person. I want to be with her when there's a fire. (laughs) Or two. There's a fire. So so that's oftentimes how prayer is, right? Prayer, we know it's necessary, but when it actually comes time to use... Because let me ask you, what's the point of knowing a fire extinguisher is important in time of fire? Nothing, really. The only fact that matters is do you know where it is, right? And so in the same way, uh, prayer is oftentimes tucked away in the back seat and... Uh, we, when, when we approach a situation, when we experience a situation, we'll try, we'll worry about it, we'll try and fix it, we'll talk to people. It's like, oh, maybe now we need to pray. We've tried everything else, nothing's worked, so let's pray now. So uh, I think the, uh, it's important as, as, as we think about uh, this idea that Paul is trying to remind, remind us that the mark of a transformed Christian or a transforming Christian, like most of us are, we need to ask ourselves what role does prayer play in our life currently? Can I give you a test to see if prayer is theoretical for you? Uh, prayer is theoretical to you if when you face a situation, praying about it is the last option. You know, the minister that visits the husband in the hospital, he goes to see the husband, and then he walks out and sees the wife in the waiting room. And after a little chit-chat, he said, perhaps we should pray now. And the wife goes, oh, is it that bad? You know? And so oftentimes, that's how it prayer is. Prayer, we wait for prayer uh, we wait to pray till we uh, reach a situation at the end of it. And so uh, what I want to do for you guys, uh, I want to ask you guys to do is um, over lunch or dinner today, ask, 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 you, ask your family, ask yourselves, uh, what, role does play, what role does prayer play in your life currently? Not theoretically, not what we think it should, but what does it actually play? And so Paul is reminding us, he did the Romans, that it should be a goal to practice running to prayer. I'm not asking that you try harder, but what does it look like to practice to run to prayer on a regular basis? And I wish I had more time to uh, unpack what it means to practice running to prayer, but I hope you'll think it over. And if you guys have questions, I'll be more than happy to answer. But in, uh, in uh, so not only do we need to pray and run to prayer, but we also need to be persevering in it. We need to be constant in it. It needs to be something that's consistent in our lives. When Jesus was teaching about consistency in prayer and persevering, he uh, shared a parable in Luke 18. You don't have to turn there. I'll tell you you kind of the gist of uh, the story. Uh, Since Jesus used that parable to teach us about persistence in prayer, I want to use the same story to illustrate my point. Uh, So Luke 18 uh, uh, is the story of the unjust judge and the widow. And so quickly reading the story... um, So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And so in trying to make a point, Jesus essentially takes two people in that society that are on opposite ends of the social spectrum. We have the unjust judge who is at the top of the spectrum, social spectrum, and he's unjust, meaning he's not interested in giving justice. And we have the widow who at the time uh, is essentially the least uh, important person in society. She has nobody to take care for her. of her. She has no inheritance. And she's essentially uh, disregarded in the society that they're in. So here's a person who has all the leverage, and here's somebody who has no leverage. So when the lady, uh, when the widow goes up to the, uh, up to the uh, ju- judge, she has nothing to offer to him. What is her leverage? What is the, what is the way that she can get her justice? She has no options other than keep asking. And so Jesus, in making this uh, painting, this contrasting picture, helps us understand. Uh, in that parable, if an unjust judge gives into a woman who has no leverage, what does it look like for a just God to answer prayers to his children? And so that's the point that uh, Jesus is making here. I do have to say, he, Jesus does say uh, he will give justice to them speedily. I have a lot of time, you can spend a whole sermon on this, but uh, speedily oftentimes is God's speed, and oftentimes that's not our speed. Right, just so that answer that does not come at the time that we wanted know that God is still listening he, he expects us to continually keep asking because he is a just God and a loving father who is willing and eager to meet the needs of his of his children so if prayer uh, so it should be our goal to run to prayer, and as we think about. Uh, prayer and what it, what it does for us. I just want to make three more points before we move on. One is that prayer is God's invitation to us to partner with Him. What do I mean by that? Oftentimes we look around our lives and it's like, we have no control over some of the things that go on in our lives, right? And so prayer is the arrangement that God has given us to participate with Him in what He is doing. If you want to participate with God in what God is doing in the life of your children, then pray for your children. If you want to participate with God in what He's doing in your marriage, then pray for your marriage. If you want to participate with God in what He's doing in your city, country, church, then pray for those things because that is how you get to participate with God in what He's doing. Next, prayer exposes the things and uh, idols and desires of our lives. I often find myself praying for safety, praying for uh, protection over my family, praying for a good job, and a lot of times when I find myself praying for those things consistently, God reveals baggage in my life. Because of my chronic worrying, God says, you're praying for those things so you never have to worry about them. Right? It's not because I trust God, it's because I just don't want to experience any trials or tribulations a lot of times. And so prayer exposes our lives. It un- God, the Holy Spirit unpacks our lives as we pray for those things. It points out the desires in our hearts. It points out where are we off alignment with God. And it helps us come into, uh, come into alignment with who God is and what His desires are for our lives. And lastly, when, when you see God moving and answering prayers, what does that do to your faith? It strengthens it. It gives you the confidence to keep going to prayer. It is essentially a self-nurturing cycle. When you see God answering, when you know that He's faithful, when you, when you know that He's trustworthy— you end up going to Him again and again, thus strengthening your prayer life, thus making prayer a more uh, more accessible part of your life or a more readily available part of your life. And so uh, so I, I began the sermon by saying a consistent prayer life renews our hope and strengthens our resolve to be patient. And so let that be my second point and Paul's second exhortation, which is to be patient in tribulation. We've all seen people... Or been with difficult, uh, been with people who are in difficult uh, situations, right? Uh, We've all been those people, or we've met those people that are always impatient when things go wrong. For me, it's when I'm hungry, right? All Christ likeness leaves me. Uh, (laughs) But oftentimes, we find ourselves in difficult seasons that difficult seasons in our lives bring out the things in our life that didn't even know we that existed in our lives. It exposes our idols. It exposes our desires. It brings out, uh, uh, brings out the parts of our life that really give our worth. When you lose your job, you find out if your job actually gives you your worth. It gives you your identity. So uh, tribulation exposes those idols. Tribulation exposes fears and worries. It also exposes where we find our worth and identity. So difficult uh, tribulations or difficult seasons are not just seasons that we need to get through by gritting our teeth, holding on like a roller coaster, or when I'm on a roller coaster. Um, And they they often are crucibles where our faith is being refined. Funny story, uh, when I was telling my wife this idea of crucible, and she was like, what is that? What is a crucible? I was like, you know, crucible, the one you use in a chemistry lab. She's like, we didn't use that in a chemistry lab, so I didn't grow up in, Europe, uh, in, in, in America, so there's a lot of words that I use with her, and she's like, that is not a real word. But crucible's, <laughs> crucible is a real word. Essentially, it's this uh, ceramic uh, vessel that we used in the chemistry lab. I'm not sure what you all use here, but we essentially can handle high temperatures. So if you want to see what some, how, how something behaves in high temperatures, you put it in the crucible and then you turn up the heat. The so tribulations are those kinds of uh, experiences where our lives are being refined, The things in our lives, are uh, the things that hinder us, the sin in our lives fall away because God is constantly working on them. And so if you've lived any amount of time, you know this to be true. We go through difficult seasons of life and then we look back, what do we see? We see silver linings. We see how God has been faithful. We've seen how we have changed. We've seen how our spouse has changed. We've seen how our children have changed, right? We've seen how we've grown spiritually. And so Paul is reminding that a transforming Christian learns and practices patience, although imperfectly, through tribulations. That is where we learn how to trust God. That is where we learn what it means to be transformed into God's likeness. And we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, King David grew uh, closer to God through his difficult season when Saul was persecuting him. We see Peter, uh, Peter's idols being exposed when he denied Jesus we see, his, uh, we see his, um, uh, his life being refined when he was going through his ministry struggles. I want us to look at a story of what that looks like for us or what it means to be patient in tribulation. And for that, I want us to look at a story in Mark 35. Again, I'll read the story for you. Uh, in Mark 4, ch- chapter 4, and verses 35 to 41... Uh, we hear, read about the story about Jesus calming a storm. And so if you know the, where the story is, um, where the story, how the story goes, Jesus has spent the whole day preaching. He's uh, taught them about the uh, parable of the sower, parable of the, of the lamp, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the parable of the mustard seed. And so uh, now even in, on, we pick up the story in on verse 35 of Mark chapter four. And it says, Mark writes, on that day when evening had come, "'He said to them, "'Let us go across to the other side. "'And leaving the crowd, "'they took him with them in the boat, "'just as he was. "'And other boats were with him, "'and a great windstorm arose, "'and the waves were breaking into the boat "'so that the boat was already filling. "'But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, "'and they awoke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' "'And he awoke and rebuked the wind "'and said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.' "'And the wind ceased.' And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's interesting that, again, another sermon, sermon worth of material in here, but just to point out a few things, we see how the disciples had faith in Jesus. Didn't they? When the storm happened, they were like, Jesus, Jesus. They went to him and it's like, Do something. Do you not care? Do something. What is interesting and what is interesting to me that uh, as I read through this story was this idea that Jesus had a different kind of faith. What allowed him to sleep through the storm? Because Jesus knew uh, something that we sometimes fail to recognize or sometimes we forget because of the uh, difficult seasons of life that we go through. And what Jesus knew was that he lived in a God-permeated world and that God was in control even in the middle of the worst storms. Let me repeat that. Jesus knew that he lived in a God-permeated world that allowed him to rest and sleep even in the worst storm. Right? What does it take or what does it look like for us to have faith in God that we can rest and sleep even in the worst storm? And, you know, I know what most of you are thinking. You're like, well, it's all well and good. It's all nice. Uh, that's a nice, cool story. Um, but I've been at sea for a while now. The storms have been 10, 20, 30 years. Um, fighting cancer, bearing with my spouse, dealing with my children, working for a difficult boss. Bearing the burden of my crazy family. You're not in my shoes. You don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, I agree. I think some of you all have been in some of these struggles longer than I've been alive, so I recognize that I don't fully understand your situations. And neither Paul, probably Paul didn't either. But I think Paul, and this is, I think, something that I want to leave you guys with, is Paul is not asking us to be patient because he understands our situations. He's asking us to be patient because he knows who is with us. He knows who is with us, and that is why he asks us to be patient. In Psalm 23, uh, David, uh, King David writes, the, uh, the, in, verse, uh, in verse 4, I believe it is, in Psalm 23, verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I mean, that's, when I read stuff like that is when I was like, well, you're walking through where death lives and you're not afraid? That's what he says. What, how does the rest of that verse go? I will for, fear no evil for you are with me or whatever translation you have for, the, you, know, um, for you are with me. David did not fear and the rest of, uh, rest of the verse essentially exalts God's providence and God's presence even in the valley of the shadow of death. And so we fear no evil, not because we know everything is going to be uh, pretty and rosy, but we can be patient in tribulation because we know who is with us. The, one of the things uh, that has helped us, and I mentioned this earlier in the sermon, is uh, being part of a life group uh, is, a, is essentially a practical way for, uh, for you guys to be renewed and be encouraged in life. I, I think us being part of a life group here has helped us encourage people that were struggling with their marriages, raising kids, having newborn babies, etc. And, and it's taught us what it means to love other people well. And it's, it's given us the opportunity to be loved well too. And so I want to say, if you're not part of a life group, uh, feel free to uh, ask Shannon or myself or Kevin uh, and we can direct you to uh, a live group. There's actually a live group that meets. This is the one that I go to, so I'm just going to advertise it. Uh, it's, there's a live group that meets after uh, teardown, um, and lunch will be there. And so uh, if you guys are already here, and the Cowboys don't play till later, so... Full f- <laughs> It's a great time for you to check it out uh, or be part. Of, if, there's, if you feel like there's another time that's, uh, that works better, then we can point you to another life group that meets. But life groups are another way where you find people that are experiencing tribulation and can encourage each other because sometimes things do get hard. Sometimes we forget who we serve. Sometimes we forget who is with us. And so life groups are a great way where we can encourage each other and be encouraged. And so uh, that brings us to the, the last part of uh, Paul's exhortation. And let, me, let me repeat where we are. And so I mentioned before uh, in the beginning that a consistent prayer life renews our hope and strengthens our resolve to be patient in tribulation. So we looked at the, tribulation, uh, the patient, being patient part. Let's look at what it means to be renewed in our hope or to rejoice in our hope. Paul here says rejoice in hope. The message has it as cheerfully expectant. And so what is hope? There's a lot of definitions. Hebrews gives us a few definitions. Uh, For me, I think it it boils down to hope is a joyous anticipation of good that is not here yet. It's a joyous anticipation of what is not here yet. We know it's coming. It's just not here yet. Fear, on the other hand, is the anticipation of evil, right? When we anticipate something bad's going to happen, we're afraid. But when we anticipate something good happening, it generates a hope in our lives, and so that is what it means to that is, that is what it means to be hopeful. Hope is critical for our faith and transformation because it has the power to pull us forward. Right? You probably experienced this to some degree or the other. Right? Uh, when you don't get sleepless, ni- when you get sleepless nights, then you realize that one day you will be able to sleep because you have a newborn baby. You're able to sleep in the future. Right? It kind of keeps you bearing with a child. Right? And so in the same way, uh, when the troubles and trials and seasons of life that are difficult hit us, we remind ourselves who God is, what God is doing in our lives, and, uh, and the people around us that help us push us forward. It generates the hope that let us, lets us do that. So I want us to look at uh, four, four things that I think undergird our hope, four things that I uh, find myself uh, constantly thinking about when I am discouraged. And the first um, pillar that undergirds hope uh, is the fact that we're adopted into Christ's family. It's whose we are. Romans 5, uh, Paul talks about in verses 1 and 2 about how we have been adopted into God's family through His grace and by God's mercy. And so uh, oftentimes we're, we, we forget whose we are, right? We, we're caught up in the circumstances that we live in. We've been, we've been freed from the bondage of sin, and we are called to eternal life. We've been called to be part of God's family. We've been adopted into his family. Uh, you, some of you have probably heard the story of the newspaper boy that was uh, working for a newspaper company that was running a competition. And the competition basically was if you sold the most newspaper subscriptions, you got to uh, go to a, uh, a vacation by the beach. And so he works hard. He wins the competition. And then, uh, as promised, he uh, enjoys a nice vacation on the beach. Well, as he's enjoying his vacation, he sees another boy, and he goes up to him and figures out, like guys always do, trying to uh, rank people. He asks the boy, how many newspaper subscriptions did you sell to enjoy the vacation? The boy goes, none. My father owns the newspaper. Right? I think for us as children of God, that is what the status that we, are, that we are enjoy, the status of children in God's family because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because we've been saved by God's mercy and the work on the cross. Second, our hope comes from the promise that God is transforming us into his likeness. Like I said, when I go through these moments where uh, my Christ-likeness leaves me, uh, I am reminded or have to be uh, encouraged by the fact that God is still working in me, right? Uh, he, Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians 1, 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if you find yourselves hung up on patterns of sin, hung up on how unspiritual you are or how unqualified you are, rem- remember... The God that's called you into this salvation will complete the work that he started. And that's hopeful for me, because if it was left up to me, it's going to be, it's bad. It's been bad so far, and I can't see it changing anytime soon besides, God, besides God's mercy. So that's the second thing that keeps our hope alive. The third thing that keeps our hope alive is the truth that Jesus is going to be back. And I want to read us a passage later on today, but uh, it, it 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 brings me hope, especially as I watch election and all this other stuff that's going on, all the chaos that we live in, that Jesus is going to come back and set everything straight. And that generates a hope in my life that keeps me pulling me forward to live daily for him. And as your, as his sons and daughters, we have been invited to be part of the marriage supper of the lamb. And lastly, uh, we and more importantly, we rejoice in God Himself. So we rejoice in the fact that we've been adopted into God's family. We rejoice in hope, and from the hope that comes from the fact that God is changing us, and we rejoice in the hope that God is coming back. But lastly, and more importantly, we rejoice in the fact that God, in God Himself, we move. Paul is helping us to move from rejoicing in results to rejoicing in who God is. Right? oftentimes we look at results we're like okay i was i was this at this point at this uh this stage of my life but i'm still here right or you know we're still struggling financially or, or my kids are still not obedient or whatever the case may be paul reminds us that to rejoice in hope means to rejoice in god himself so from time to time uh, again as, as i get older i realize like i have i know less and less isn't that crazy uh, I remember somebody telling me that uh, when kids hit 21, they realize that their parents have become smarter, right? And I think, you know, the older I get, the less. I saw my wife this the other day. I feel like I'm less and less control of what's going on. And I think, you know, as life gets more complicated, more people involved. And so from time to time, the burdens of life causes our hope to dissipate. And it sucks the hope out of our lives. We find our hope replaced with distrust and cynicism. And if, so if the mark of a, of a Christian is to rejoice in hope, then if you're anxious, if you're distrusting, if you're cynical, chances are life has replaced your focus from Jesus to cynicism. Right? And so part of, the, part of Paul's exhortation to us is to ask ourselves, if, if I'm seeing these feelings of distrust, if I'm seeing these feelings of worry, anxiousness, then has my hope been replaced with something other than Jesus? Uh, as the band comes uh, up and um, we finish up here today, I want to spend uh, read uh, a passage from Revelation chapter four. But before I do that, I just want to summarize where we what we looked at so far, and that, that's that in Paul in saying in Romans chapter twelve to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. What he's telling us, uh, what he's telling us, is that a consistent prayer life feeds our hope, and so that we can rejoice in it. It strengthens our resolve so we can be patient in tribulation. And so, uh, one of the passages I generally go to when I find myself distrusting, uh, discouraged, is Revelation chapter 4. And so, in Revelation chapter 4, John the Apostle is writing uh, about this vision that he's seen in heaven. He, uh, he, John wrote the book of Revelation, as most scholars believe. And, in so, and so in chapter 4, he's explaining this vision for, to us. So I'm going to read it, and unfortunately I don't have it on the screen. Uh, and I, I'm reading it, and I can't keep track of all the imagery, but I just wanted to read it, so I'm hoping that it will encourage you guys as I read it. And so in Ro- uh, Revelation chapter 4, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, which are precious stones. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders. "'clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. "'From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. "'And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, "'which are seven spirits of God. "'And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. "'And around the throne, on each side of the throne, "'were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, "'the first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, "'the third living creature the face of a man, And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they cast their thrones before the throne saying worthy are you lord worthy are you our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created isn't that amazing i don't know about you guys but when i read that it just it just brings hope into my life it reminds me that who's on who's on the throne But you know what is even more amazing? What's even more amazing is that he left that throne, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and died for you and me. What is even more amazing? He's back on that throne. He's there, and he's ruling and reigning, and he is in control. And what is even more amazing is that he is with you. He's with you as you live your life, as you experience difficult seasons of your life, and as you experience tribulations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this time together as we remind ourselves of who you are, whose we are, and who is with us. We forget that as we shuttle children from uh, activities, move from activity to activity, getting ready for church, whatever the case may be. We pray that we will come to you on a regular basis, that we will live our lives in conjunction with you, in partnership with you, so we can partner with you in what you are doing in our lives, in our children's lives, in our marriages, in our cities. We pray for, I pray for all those who are experiencing difficult seasons in their life right now. Some of them have been at it for a while. Pray that you strengthen their hope, they can rejoice you strengthen their patience that they might be able to walk through it that you let them give them the grace to run to prayer pray that as a church that we will come around those people so that we can love on them we can encourage them and help us as a church to remember who's on the throne that if we ever forget that we're reminded by the people around us pray for the folks that could not make it here pray that you encourage their hearts too